The scripture reading today is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Pray with me if you would. Oh God, on the very first day of all creation, you caused light to shine out of darkness. In fact, you spoke light into darkness. So now would you flood our hearts with the light from your word. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, you are the light of the world. So as we read and speak and listen and respond, shine in and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, for those of you who've been with us for a while, you know we, we had been studying through the New Testament book of James. Then we took a little break. Today we're back in James, and we're going to start seeing how everything pieces and fits together. Uh, James is a letter written by a man named James to Christians, broadly speaking, in the ancient world. And it really, he sets out to answer one basic question, an overarching question, which is how do I not just be a Christian, but how do I grow to become a more and more mature Christian? In other words, how do I not be stagnant? You know the difference between a stagnant body of water and a moving body of water? The moving body of river or, or the ocean, um, they're constantly moving. It's like they're alive, and there's something in us that responds to that. Compare that to, to like a pond or in the back of, uh, in our neighborhood, and kind of back in the woods, there's just this giant swamp. The water doesn't move, and it gets murky and mucky and just nasty. How do we not just be stagnant, but how do we grow? How do we constantly move in our faith? Now, James touches on a couple of themes over and over as he explores. How do you grow in your faith? How do you become a more and more mature Christian, not just a baby Christian? And this morning, we're going to start exploring one of those themes that he's going to develop over the course of his letter. It's the theme of words. How do we speak? What words do we use? And what's really important to note, you may have noticed, even as Sarah read, is that James starts by talking about using our words, not by saying this is how to use your words, but this is how not to use your words. You notice that? In fact, he doesn't even start by saying this is what you should say in this circumstance, or that he says this is what you should not say. This is what you should not say. Isn't it something that the person who's trying to write about maturity and how do you grow in your faith starts by saying, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. He doesn't start with the importance of speaking the right words. He starts with the importance of not speaking. He says, my dear brothers, today we would add brothers and sisters. That's just kind of an archaic way. But, but when he says brothers, it's important to note that he, that means he's talking to Christians. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And any time, especially in the New Testament, that you see that language, brothers or brothers and sisters, that means this applies to Christians. 
We can, we can pull kind of two. These are kind of obvious, but let's just state the obvious uh, here for a minute. That means, one, if you're a Christian, this applies to you. Two, that means that we actually, we don't need to, we probably shouldn't expect people who don't claim to be Christians to follow this. In other words, you, we, you can't expect somebody who's not a follower of Jesus to behave like a follower of Jesus. And you can start putting the pieces together that if James is talking about being quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger, maybe a, a related point we might add slow to judgment, then that would color how we approach people who have a different faith than our own. He doesn't expect non-Christians to take his advice. But he does say that the mark of a Christian is somebody who does these things because it's all about growing in a more, into a more mature and more wise faith. So what James is saying, here's, here's the whole point. If you want to just, I'll give you the answer and then you can disengage for the rest of the morning if you want. What's he saying? Wise and mature Christians are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And the inverse, of course, is true that Christians who are the opposite, slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger are not growing in mature. In fact, James would probably say that those are the marks of an immature Christian. Now, we could have probably each said that, even just mature person or immature or wise. How how many of you know somebody who's wise? You would say, that person's really wise, who is quick to speak and quick to offer a kind of a sharp, angry word. Not one of us, probably. Maybe, Maybe you do. You can tell me afterwards if you know the exception. But most of us, the people we know who we would say, that person's really wise, are people who naturally are slow to speak and quick to listen. We all kind of know this. That's part of the challenge of this, that that James starts here, and he says, let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to anger. Quick to listen. That literally, like, if you were to translate it literally from Greek, it would be like, make haste to listen. Be eager to listen. Be quick to listen. I remember one of you uh, told me once, I think you had a plaque in your office that said, are you listening or are you just thinking about what you're going to say next? Are you listening or are you just thinking about what you're going to say next? Which is a really good question. Because how often do we, any of us, do we listen, we really listen without even thinking about what we're going to say next? To listen like that, and that, that is to, in a sense, to abandon yourself and to be fully present. That seems crazy in one sense, but, but that's kind of how we want other people to listen to us. So James says very simply, listen to each other and don't be so quick to offer your own opinion. <laughs> now, this is a really, actually, in some sense, it's a really hard verse to preach on because there's nothing hidden like the, the easy sermons to write are the ones that make, where you read the scripture passage and it makes no sense. And so I've got to do a bunch of digging and I've got to figure out, okay, well, this is what it really means and this is the connection and the Greek and the Hebrew and the cultural context. And then all of a sudden, oh, now it makes sense. But when you hear James say, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, you, you know what that, you don't need me to tell you what that means. So how do you fill a 30-minute sermon Watch me try with that. 
There's really no extra nuance that I can fill in to help you understand it more. James is just very clear. He's not the only person, by the way, who says uh, the authors of the Proverbs in the Old Testament say a lot of very similar things. Some people, uh, some commentators say that James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Let me just read a few Proverbs. So in the Old Testament, if you're new to the Christian faith, there's a book called Proverbs. It's 31 chapters of just wise sayings. Listen to some of what the Proverbs have to say about how we speak and don't speak. Here, listen for some similarities. This is just from two chapters, by the way, all of these examples. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. How about this? A person of knowledge uses words with restraint. And a man of understanding is even-tempered. How about this? This is probably my favorite. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Uh, Mark Twain paraphrased that and said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Uh, Here's another proverb. This is not Mark Twain. This is Proverbs here. A A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Two more. He who answers before listening, that is his foolishness and his shame. One more. The first, the first to present his case seems right until another comes forward and questions him. You hearing the themes just over? These are all, like if, if you've been alive for any amount of time, you hear these things and you think, of course. Of course, we know these things are true. We know these things are wisdom. In fact, there's so much of this in Proverbs. A few years ago, I preached a series through Proverbs. I preached a whole sermon uh, about just what the Proverbs say about our words and how we use and don't use our words. If you don't remember that sermon, it's okay. I actually don't remember that sermon either. Um, I had to go look it up. But one of the things we did in that series was we created a list of all the Proverbs that address whatever theme we were thinking about for the year. So I went back and I dug that up. I printed a bunch of extra copies. So if you just, you know, if you have nothing else to do this afternoon, um, there's a stack right here as you leave of uh, Proverbs about what we say and don't say, about how we use our words wisely. That's all James is saying, really. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, it's worth noting that when he says slow to speak, that doesn't mean he's saying don't ever speak. He doesn't say, he doesn't say just stay quiet your whole life. In fact, I would guess that there are some of you here who need to learn to speak up more. But James isn't really talking to you here. He's really talking to those of us who are more prone to to speak before we have listened, who aren't really listening, who are just strategizing the next thing we can say. And even to those of us, James doesn't say don't ever speak. He just says be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. Why does he say that? Because if we can learn how to become quick to listen, we'll inevitably become slower to speak. If we could show, of those three, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, if you could just figure out quick to listen, the other two would come on their own. In the same way, by the way, slow to anger doesn't mean you're never angry. 
there are times when it's appropriate to be angry, especially, especially when you're angry at uh, injustice directed towards someone else. Slow to anger does not mean you're never angry. What it does mean is that anger is not your default. What it does mean is that when somebody hurts you, you don't immediately lash out. When someone threatens you or when someone opposes you or when somebody contradicts you or disagrees with you, which is a question worth asking. Is anger, if you dare, (laughs) is anger my default response? In other words, when you read or when you hear about or when you hear someone say something distasteful or something you disagree with or something that makes you uncomfortable, is your first response to be outraged? Even if you don't express it, like do you feel it inside? Some sociologists, at least those that I've been reading, have started reflecting and using the term, this term, outrage culture. And they say that that our, our, our Western culture, especially with the media landscape and especially with social media, is becoming an outrage culture. What does that mean? It means that, that everywhere you look, you see outrage. You see it? Anybody else? Maybe it's just me. And it really doesn't make a difference whether you're on the left or on the right. Whether you're on the left or on the right, it makes no difference whatsoever. It's, it's almost like, like people on both sides want to be outraged. We want something to be enraged about. We want, it's, it's almost as if we are defined by what we're against. Let me just point out one quick note. The, the media, whether that's the newspapers or the TV news and, or whether it's social media, is not your friend in this. Let's just be very careful about this. The media does not have your best interest in mind. They have their bottom line in mind. And so so I, th- I think one of the problems is they have figured out that we want to be outraged, which means that if they can sell outrage or if they can sell anger or if they can sell fear, the more of that they put on, the more of that you watch. And the more of us who watch and the longer we watch or engage, the more ads they can sell and the more money they make. Which, I mean, just one practical, this isn't really the point of the sermon, but you'll, you'll be able to see how, the, how it ties in. Just one interesting question. As an experiment, could you consume no news media or social media for a week? Could you? Do you, do you dare try? <laughs> well, Chris, what if something important happens? You'll find out. Somebody will tell you. But really, what if, what if, just as an experiment, and at the end of that week, if you thought, took some took kind of a careful inventory in your, in your mind, in your soul, and thought, how angry am I now compared to, to normal? Just to introduce some quiet into your life. See, in a, in a culture that feeds on outrage, that, that kind of, that is fueled by outrage, what if James is right, and what if Christians were known not for our angry responses, but for listening? How countercultural is that? Can you imagine? In an outrage culture, what if we did not immediately join in that race to the bottom 
could our silence maybe actually speak louder than the outrage that we shout? And what happens? So what happens when somebody disagrees with you? What happens when somebody says something that you disagree with? What if we didn't immediately tell them we disagreed? What if you just listened? What if you ask questions before you jump to conclusions? I mean, it's a striking question. Are we able to hear something we disagree with and not immediately express our disagreement? I wonder. I remember hearing a grandparent say once, they were talking about um, parenting their adult kids who have kids of their own. And so this grandparent was describing how they didn't, they didn't really think their kids were raising their kids, their own grandkids, right? And they wish they had done things differently. And, and they were really struggling with how much do I speak into this or not? And he said, I'm, I'm having to learn to remind myself that the relationship is more important than being right. In other words, what the person was really saying is I'm having to learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I'm having to learn not to be what Marilyn McCord Adams called a habitual complainer who knows how to make the worst of a good situation. (laughs) Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? James answers the question, why? Why does this even matter? Why? Because man's anger, human anger, does not produce God's righteousness. See, we justify our anger a lot, usually, almost always, by calling it righteous anger, righteous indignation. But isn't it interesting that, that my anger is always righteous, but everybody else's anger is, is usually unrighteous? And your anger is always righteous, but everyone else's anger is always unrighteous. And it's not just that. What's interesting is that we don't, it's not just the, that people who do disagree with us are wrong, but it's people who, who aren't as angry as we are who are wrong now. You see, if someone is angry about the same thing I'm angry about, but they're not as angry as I am, now they're wrong too. Because how could you not see that this is such a big deal? This is so important. It just, it seeps into every part of our lives. That's a poisonous attitude. I read about um, an interview, a long profile with someone who's currently a U.S. Senate candidate. They're running for Senate uh, in the 2022 election. Uh, the Senate candidate is, a, is very publicly a Christian. And they were recently interviewed, they did a long profile in them, on them in this magazine called the American Conservative. You can guess which way that magazine leans. And in the very last paragraph of this long feature article, this, a Senate candidate, a professing Christian, is quoted as saying this, I think our people hate the right people. That should be shocking. As Christians, that's, that's appalling. There's nothing Christ-like about that. Let's be very, very black and white. That is, that's not only not Christian, that is anti-Christ. I think our people hate the right people. And all of a sudden, we who claim to be Christians have been swept into the rest of the world's shallow categorizations about who is in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who is good and who is evil. 
But God calls us to be a different kind of people. People who are quick to listen, quick to listen, and slow to speak, and slow to anger. My, uh, one of my absolute best friends uh, lives in Salem, Massachusetts. And you may be aware that w- about a week ago, we had a, a celebrated a holiday that's a very big deal in Salem, Massachusetts. And he and I were chatting uh, just this week, I think on Monday. And he said, you know, so Sunday night, we kind of did our thing. And then I just, I just went for a walk through Salem, through downtown Salem on Halloween. And he said, you know what, you know what bothered me most? So I came across uh, this one corner. There were, there were a bunch of people out, basically street preachers. Like think of the stereotype. They've got their milk crate and they're shouting and condemning people. He said, I saw one street preacher standing on the corner just shouting and condemning and telling people, you know, repent and this and that. And then somebody standing right in front of that person dressed as a devil with a sign on their front that said, free hugs from Satan. Now, that's a shocking image, right? But if you're walking down the street and you see somebody who's representing Christians shouting angrily, and right in front of them you see someone with, you know, the red horns and whatnot that says, free hugs from Satan, who are you going to be more drawn to? Who are you going to be more drawn to? Let each of you be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's be very clear about this. <laughs> So-called Christian outrage, where we rage against the culture and rage against wickedness, when we descend into that kind of, again, I'm calling it so-called Christian outrage, means that we're really no different from the culture that we're raging against. It's like a horseshoe. And if if the culture we're raging against is here, we actually find ourselves bending right back towards them. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Alec Motyer, a great commentator, wrote, the great talker is rarely a great listener. And never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over An angry spirit is never an attentive spirit. Now, it's easy to read these verses and to think, you know, quick quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and we think about this in the context of our relationship with one another. And that's, that's a good interpretation. That's a right interpretation, and James is certainly addressing how we interact with one another. But I don't want to stop there. I want to explore a little bit deeper and peel back one or two more layers because I think James has more in mind than just how we interact with and listen to and speak with one another. I think James is talking not just about our social interactions with each other, but about our relationship with God. Now, we just took a three-week pause from looking at James to think about contemplative spiritual practices. These are practices that force us to slow down and to listen for God, which means introducing silence into our lives, and to invite God in to even shine, kind of shine a flashlight into our hearts and to examine us. So what if when James says, let each of you be quick to listen, he's not just talking about listening to the person sitting next to you 
What if he's talking about listening to the one who lives inside you? Because if you're a Christian, Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. How do I know this? Why do I say this? Well, look right, look at verse 20. He says, receive the word that is planted in you. To receive God's word sounds an awful lot like listening, doesn't it? And right before this, by the way, in verse 18, he says, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Which means that our life as Christians, our whole life, and we believe that that we have a new life, a transformed life, not just like a 2.0, a slightly better version of the old one, but categorically different, comes not through our words and how we use our words, but it comes through God's word. When you receive God's word, which he has planted in you, when you listen for him, when you ask him to examine your life, When you confess your sin, those themes sound familiar, right? You will naturally become the kind of person who is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So if James means the same command, both as it relates to your interactions with other people and as it relates to God, what's he saying? He's saying there's no part of your life that's not spiritual, There's no part of your life that's not an extension and an outflow of your relationship with Jesus. Everything, everything is spiritual. Your conversation with your kid's teacher is spiritual. Your interaction with the customer service rep on the phone, you know, the one that has the accent that you just can't understand, is spiritual. The email that you're about to fire off to that coworker who just fell short once again and just doesn't get it is spiritual. In other words, let's put it this way. How would your interactions with those people change if you spent time not just listening to them, but listening to the Spirit who lives inside of you? Do you think your tone might soften? You think you might be slower to assume the worst? You think you might ask before you accused, even just in your mind? You see, the the word that you take in, James is kind of saying, is the word that will spill out. The word that you take in is the word that will spill out of you. Twice, he's talked about receiving God's word in four verses so if we, if we take in, you see, if we take in outraged words, if you take in outraged words all the time, then don't be surprised when outraged words are the kinds of words that spill out of you. It's inevitable. Or angry words. Or short-tempered words. But if you take in the word of God, if you listen for the word of God, then what will spill out of you? the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that is life-giving and creating and recreating. 
See, this is incredible, and it, it matters, and I don't want to get too hung up on it, but just think for a moment about the fact that, that in Genesis 1, page 1 of your Bible, when God made everything, what did he do? He didn't go to his workshop and start tinkering. He spoke. Let there be light, and bang, there was light. Let there be a separation between the heavens and the earth, and bang, there was a separation. Let there be humans, bang, there were humans. Let there be trees. Like, we, you and I can't do that. God's word is inherently creative. It creates. And God's word is inherently redemptive. It recreates. When Jesus hung on the cross, what did he do? He spoke. He said, it is finished. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the sin that separates us from God and that makes it impossible for us to enjoy a relationship with the one who is so wholly other, that sin was finished. Why? Because Jesus just spoke and it was done. So when we, when we fill ourselves with God's word, which is creative and recreative, then the words that come out of us become creative and recreative. In other words, they build up instead of tearing down. They contribute instead of consuming. You see where this is going? James says you can't become quick to listen or slow to speak or slow to anger through sheer determination. You just can't. You know how I know? Because probably every one of us has tried and failed. <laughs> Have you ever tried? You ever tried that? You ever thought like, you know, I just really need to be more patient with that, that one person. And it goes really, really well for a week if you're lucky. And then they say something or do something that pushes that button and you just can't resist and you lose it again. You can't change yourself. Not at this deep root level. The only thing that can change you, James has said in verse 18, and he says again in verse 21, is the word of God, is the spirit of God. In some sense, when James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, he wants you to think, that sounds impossible, because it is. You can't do this on your own. You need someone to effect that change in your life. Someone who's powerful enough to speak and things happen. And nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, who is our perfect example, did exactly that. Think about this. When Jesus, when Jesus hung on the cross, as his life was just slowly seeping out of him, people came by, Scripture says, and mocked him. And they said, if you really are the son of God, if you really are who you say you are, get down off that cross. You're powerful enough. And what did he do? Fire back a short, angry answer. Fire back anything? No, he just took it. He just, slow to speak, slow to anger. Right before that, when the soldiers came and whipped him, you remember what Jesus cried out? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Slow to anger. You see, in his death, Jesus paved the way for any of this to be possible. It's just not possible without it. And we know it from experience, if we're really honest. 
Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. James wants you to think, I don't know that I can. To which the appropriate answer is, no, you can't. But he already has. He wants to plant his word in you. He wants it to grow and to flourish into this magnificent tree. This righteous, this life-giving tree. Will you receive the word that is planted in you? Will you listen to him? Will you listen for him? Because he's right here.